Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like him. Well, good morning, church. Come on. Good morning, church. Will you say hello to everybody online watching with us, joining us virtually? We can't wait till there's not empty social distance spaces in this room, and it's going to come. And God's church, I don't mean this church, God's church is going to be full. Come on, somebody. It's gonna, there's going to be, say amen if you think there's an awakening and a revival somewhere on the other side of this. Come on. That's who God is. That's what he does. This is bonus sermon time, okay? You're, you're welcome. Go to John chapter 13. Go to John chapter 13 because we're going to get there in a minute. And if you're just now joining us, maybe first time in the room or first time watching us online, we have been throughout this summer on a journey through John's journal. That's all the J's I got. We're on a journey through John's journal because when John's writing this, he doesn't, I don't think he knows that he's writing the Bible because that term and that word and the way we have it now wouldn't come for hundreds of years. God was inspiring people to write the scriptures and he was ordaining how it would eventually be put together. But John's just writing an account of his life with the man who was God, is God, who changed everything for him. He's now getting to the end of his life. And you know, John wrote other books in the Bible, you know, first, second, all those things, Revelation. But this is John's account of his life with Jesus. And John didn't come to faith in Jesus because he read about him. He didn't come to faith in Jesus because he heard some really good sermons. He saw it firsthand. He witnessed it with his own eyes. He was there when these things happened. But he knew there would come a generation that wouldn't have that luxury that there would be generations to come following him that wouldn't get to experience the things that he experienced. And so he sat down to write an account of his time with Jesus. And his sole purpose in writing these things down, he makes it really clear, is so that when you and I would read it, we would believe about Jesus what he came to believe about Jesus. And so all the, all the other gospels had already been written by now. And so maybe that plays a part into what John decides to put into his gospel. And John puts things in his gospel that others don't, and he doesn't include many of the things that they do. The Sermon on the Mount, which is the good portion of the middle part of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus goes on the Mount of Olives and teaches on subjects that are just as relevant in 2020 as they were the day Jesus talked about them. Go read it. It's good. Okay. Everybody just agreed to read it in the room and online. Awesome. But I don't know if maybe John just puts down the things that these are the things that, that pushed him over the edge. That of all the things that Jesus did, he intentionally wrote down the ones that really affirmed his belief in Jesus. And he doesn't record a lot of Jesus's words. The only time he really writes down the words of Jesus or in the context of conversations, like he remembers this time when Jesus hangs out with a guy named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, a religious guy, wealthy, powerful, who comes to Jesus one evening and they have this conversation where Jesus talks about being born again. But then he also recalls a conversation with somebody that was the exact opposite of Nicodemus, the woman at the well, 
who had gone through relationship after relationship, and she was the last person that Jesus should have been having a conversation with. She was a woman, she was a different nationality, race, religion, like all these, like she was a different person. Jesus was not supposed to be talking to her. Just a reminder, Jesus died for us all, and he does not let any of those things stand in the way of his grace the way that we do from time to time. He remembers the day that, that Jesus was on this mountainside and there were thousands of people and they were hungry. And Jesus multiplies this little boy's lunch and feeds thousands of people. He remembers calling a man named Lazarus who had been in the grave for four days so long he stunk, stank, stinked, stink, he smelled bad. He calls him out of the grave and he remembers when that man's sister, Mary, went up to Jesus and in this act of pure, unadulterated, extravagant worship, broke a jar of perfume worth a year's wages and poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. But John, what he remembers most is those last few hours. Because when you move into John chapter 13, all of a sudden now, they're not going about doing ministry. John doesn't record another one of those miracles or those conversations. He recalls much of what is said in this place called the upper room. By the time they move up into this room, John doesn't even record how they got there, that they had walked into Jerusalem and Jesus had experienced this parade unlike anything he had ever seen. The par a parade fit for a king where Jesus is mounted on a donkey and he rides into Jerusalem and people are yelling Hosanna and they're laying those palm branches down on the path as he walked. Y'all remember those? Y'all shook those when y'all were a little kid in children's church growing up? Yeah. Some of y'all, my church folk. Yeah, okay. You're trying to forget that. That's all right. He doesn't record that. He moves into this upper room where Jesus has gathered just his 12 this group of ragamuffin, ragtag group of guys that would be the last group of people that we, it's the most dysfunctional life group ever created. And I always wonder, you know, these, you know, we're about to launch life groups and, you know, we want to be with people that are like, have some interests that same of us and all that kind of thing. These guys were, were tax collectors and fishermen and they came from all these different walks of life. And once again, Jesus celebrating the beauty of us coming together and the diversity that's supposed to be beautiful in the context of it being centered around the gospel and who Jesus is. And Jesus gathers him up in this upper room and John records this conversation. And I think even John realized that what Jesus said in this moment was powerful and needed. Because John's gonna tell us by this point, Jesus knows his time is near. His time on this planet is coming to an end. And when you know you only have hours to live, you, you don't waste words. If you knew that today would be the last conversation you had with your kids, you would not waste words. What you would say in that moment would be as powerful and meaningful as any conversation you've ever had. Come on, somebody. And maybe I think, and again, Jasmine used a phrase last week that's so awesome, the gift of hindsight. That in hindsight, I think John's writing this down because he knows, hey, these last words that Jesus shared with us were some of the most important and some of these other guys have not shared with you all the things that happened in, in this upper room. And, and I need you to know about these things because what Jesus said and did in these last few hours with us were the most impactful things that he ever did on my life. So John chapter 13, verse one. 
says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were, with, who, who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to, pre- to betray Jesus. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. John, John doesn't know this in the moment. He, he, he's reflecting on this. He doesn't know when he's in this upper room and they're having this meal, as you're gonna see in just a second, he doesn't know what all's about to unfold. He doesn't know that this is gonna be the last meal that he would share with Jesus in this way. He doesn't know that Judas is going to betray him yet. He's reflecting on these things in this time and he has a perspective on them now that he doesn't have then. Can I just say something to you? It's okay if you don't understand what Jesus is doing right now because God hardly ever makes sense in the moment. Testify somebody. God hardly ever makes sense in the moment. What God is doing in real time rarely makes sense to us. But faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And John is writing these things in the context of years of processing and praying and understanding. Verse three, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Again, we we read the Bible and we don't understand how strange and awkward these moments would have been. Now, it would have been it would have been very normal for somebody to have their feet washed when they entered somebody's home for a meal. But a couple things, number one, it would have never been by the host. Because see, it was nasty for as you were trodden around ancient Jerusalem in in your Jewish Birkenstocks, for your feet to get dirty and nasty and just, just by the nature of the times. Nobody was walking around in a new pair of J's. For the, shoe people, for the non-shoe people, Jordans. Your feet would have been really dirty and it would have been customary when you entered that home for a meal for your feet to be washed because they didn't sit around in table and chairs like most of us are used to. They more than likely reclined at a, a table and more than likely they sat foot to head. And you didn't want somebody's stinky feet in your face while you were eating. You with me? But it would have never been by the host. It would have been by a slave or a servant. And it would have happened well before the meal ever begun. So the whole, the whole thing of this Jesus washing their feet and the timing in which he washes, it doesn't make sense. And maybe it's because it's more than just about getting feet clean. That Jesus is trying to teach us something in this moment. So right in the middle of the meal, people are eating. Peter got a big old plate of grapes. Thomas is doubting what's gonna happen next. And Jesus just gets up and doesn't say, he doesn't say anything. And the disciples, these 12 guys are looking around like, what is happening right now? Just days before, 
This man is riding on the back of a donkey, getting the parade for a fit, fit for a king. And now in the middle of the meal, he steps up, takes off his outer garment, picks up a towel, takes a water and a pitcher and a bowl, and he goes and he kneels down at their feet and just starts washing. And he goes from, from Matthew and Thaddeus all these disciples, and he moves these feet, and the disciples are watching, confused and in awe of what's happening. They're like, everybody else think this is weird? Me too. Okay, good. And he comes to Peter, and Peter is resistant because he knows the tradition of this gesture, that he is not worthy to have his feet washed by Jesus, and he doesn't want it. Everybody else is just kind of in shock and awe, but in typical Peter, impulsive and typically brash, Jesus, no, no. Look at verse eight. No, said Peter. Peter, always trying to tell Jesus what to do. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now again, there's layers to what Jesus is saying here. He's not, in this moment, he's not just talking about, unless I wash you, unless I make you clean, unless I remove what is standing between the relationship I desire for ha to have with you until that's washed clean, washed whiter than snow, washed only by my blood. He doesn't know this now. We can't live in the relationship that you desire. But Peter just thinks that him living in relationship with Jesus is dependent on him washing his feet. And so look how he responds, verse nine. It says, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Because the thought of not knowing you, not living in relationship with you, the thought of being separated from you, I, I'm willing to move beyond how uncomfortable I am right now and let you wash my feet. But again, Jesus is up to something and he's doing things that, that, they don't, make, that don't make sense in the moment that Jesus, everything he does is intentional and layered and symbolic. And he's trying to teach them something here, but he's also teaching them something about service and humility. It's hard for them to wrap their minds around the one that they, most of them now are calling Lord to wash their feet. But Jesus is up to something. Look at verse 10. So Jesus responds to Peter, and he answers, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Now, as John recalls this story and he's remembering the things that Jesus is saying, he's not now, now understand in the moment it didn't make sense, but on the other side of what we're about to experience, I, I have perspective on what Jesus was trying to teach us in that moment. Dr. Verse 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed 
if you do them. That Jesus is trying to teach us something about sacrificial service in this moment. That here, the King of kings and Lord of lords, God in the flesh, kneels down to wash the feet of a group of guys that are gonna scatter, deny, and betray. And he's trying to teach us something about the power of service that we, I think, are losing so much in our culture. We don't value selfless service anymore. We value service when it benefits us. We're willing to serve when we think we can get something out of it. But Jesus is trying to teach us something about what it means to serve. And that if serving is beneath you, leading is above you. If serving is beneath you, then leading is above you. If you don't have the humility to selflessly serve, you shouldn't have the honor to lead. And not just serve the people that are good to you, that love you back, that serve you back. Because he's about to reveal that, hey, I just washed the feet of two people who are gonna let me down. And even though I knew that going in, I still, even though I knew you would betray and deny, I want you to know you're still wanted and washed. Because see, in just a matter of a few sentences, Jesus is gonna take it from uncomfortable to awkward real fast. So right on the heels of this beautiful gesture where the Son of Man gets on his knees and washes the dirty feet of all 12 of those disciples. He says this, verse 21, after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? So immediately following this, this beautiful gesture of this foot washing ceremony, where Jesus humbles himself and teaches his disciples in the most pure way possible, what it means to selflessly serve others. He says, here's the reality. One of you 12 is gonna betray me. And they all start looking at each other, which is interesting. Because some are thinking like, is it me? And Peter steps out of character. Peter, who's never been at a loss for words, looks at John and says, ask him who it is. I ain't asking him, you ask him. John, he loves you most, apparently. The disciple who Jesus loved most, that's John talking about himself. So Peter looks at John and says, John, see who it is. John leans over, says, Jesus, who is it? Now, we all know who it is. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard the name. Even if you've never even really read the Bible, his name has become synonymous with betrayal, he has become the ultimate villain of all of humanity. Go to the Bible. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. 
Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus says, yeah, I've, I've washed all of your feet. But just so you know, there's one of you. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to. I know what you've already decided. You're gonna betray me. And now we have this idea of Judas in our minds. Come on. Like he's the worst scum of the earth person. He is the, now the gatekeeper of Hades because of what he has done. That's how he has been betrayed through all of history. That there was a villain within the own circle. And all of us have said, how could he do it? He has been the most demonized human pretty much to ever live, right? But, but I'm gonna say something you're not gonna like. What if we're more like Judas than we wanna admit? What if the very person we've decided is the worst scum of the earth has characteristics that have been displayed in our own lives more than we would ever want people to know? You know what else really bothers me? is what just happened in this whole thing. See, when you, we just would think that as soon as Jesus said, one of y'all has gonna betray me, every one of them said, I bet it's Judas. He evil, I've been saying he was evil for the last three years. Man, it's crazy, he's stealing from us. He's, it's Judas. But somehow, Judas was ever able to live in such a way and exist in the shadows for so long that the moment this got brought up at this table, not a single person knew who it would be. And it makes me wonder, how? I don't know if, I think we just assumed that, that maybe Judas was, was from the beginning, he, he was just determined to sell Jesus out, that he was never loyal to Jesus, he always was looking for this opportunity, but what, why do we assume that? At some point, he was so trusted by his brothers that they elected him to be the one over the money. And you don't just trust anybody with your money. Believe me, I know. Yeah, they would later find out that he was stealing from the coffers. But in the moment, they didn't know. How was Judas able to live if, if he had been so unloyal to Jesus, so misunderstanding who Jesus is for all this time? How did he live in such a way and go unnoticed. The reality is we do it all the time. How many times we said, I never thought she would do that. I never saw that coming from him. I never thought he would be the one to cheat. I never thought she would do that to me. And see, we think because we're living in community and because we're going to church, and because we're seen, we're known. But we're only known as much as we allow people in. That community only is only possible if transparency is permitted. 
And somehow he was able to live in these, this small circle of guys. So that means, you know what? You can come to church. We're about to launch life groups. You can be a part of a life group, go every single time they meet, carry in your Bible, quote it, read the book, knew all the things. And nobody know what's really existing in your own heart. And that scares me to death. Because people, if Judas did it, you can do it. That you can live in this small circle of people, be seen every, you can know all there is to know about Jesus. You can see every miracle he does. You can, you can sit through every part of this series. You can read all of John's gospel and have some kind of affection for Jesus without any allegiance to him. It says that in that moment that Satan entered into him. Now, I've tried and tried to really understand what that exactly means, and I read all the Bible scholars, and can I just say, the Bible scholars ain't as smart as they think they are. Because there's so much about Scripture that we'll never fully understand until we get to heaven and maybe we'll have a conversation with God. Why did he do it? How could he do it? But this is what we know. Even, Even before he got up into that room, even before Jesus washed his feet, even before he handed him that piece of bread, he had already made his decision. Go to Matthew chapter 26, pick up with verse 14. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. That as soon as that gesture happened that we read about last week where Jesus' feet got washed and this perfume in Judas's mind was wasted, he made up his mind he had seen enough. Verse 14, Matthew 26, says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. So even before they ever moved up into the upper room, Judas had already made the transaction. The deal was done. He had already decided in that moment that he was gonna betray, betray Jesus. And so now he's in this upper room and Jesus does this beautiful thing, this amazing selfless gesture of washing his feet. And it says in that moment, when Jesus hands him that bread, he actually is done and he leaves the room. And so we can get so caught up in what he did that we never try to understand why did he do it? Why did Judas betray Jesus? How could Judas see and experience all the same things that Matthew did, that John did, that Peter did, but have such a different reaction to all those things? I'd love to ask Judas, Judas, why'd you do it? Like, what's going on in your mind? What's happening in your head that causes you to sell Jesus out? for 30 pieces of silver. Number one, 30 pieces of silver, that's not, that's not life-changing money. Some people might say, you know, well, it, he was just money hungry and he was greedy and 30 pieces of silver was at most maybe four months wages in that time period. It wasn't life-changing money. So I don't think it was about the money, but I think the amount of the money reveals a lot about Judas's heart. You know what 30 pieces of silver would buy you? A slave. Go read it in Exodus. 
Judas took the same amount that it cost to buy a slave to betray what should have been his savior. Now, I will never, we will never know what was in Judas's heart and what caused him to betray him. But before we judge him, can I just say, I've betrayed him and so have you. For just as much, if not for a lot less. I've made an exchange in my life where I've betrayed Jesus through my disobedience and my stubbornness. Come on, somebody. But I wonder if the reason why Judas did this was not because he hated Jesus or not, because, but maybe he just never truly understood who Jesus was. And if you don't understand who Jesus is, you will always be confused by what he does. Do you hear me? If you misunderstand who he is, you will never be able to make sense of what he's doing. See, Peter understood who Jesus was. So when he washed his feet, he understood the beauty of the sacrifice and selflessness of a savior. But what if Judas saw that as just further evidence that Jesus was not worthy of his allegiance? Then maybe Judas all along was waiting for Jesus to become what Judas wanted him to be. Waiting for Jesus to use all that power to restore order in Israel, to free them from that Roman oppression to be the king that would take over and put Israel in its rightful place. And there were moments that Judas saw him do these things, thought, it's him, look at what he can do. When he saw him riding in on that donkey like a king, he thought, finally, we're here. Jesus is gonna take charge and take over. But then Jesus would get off the back of a donkey and get down on his knees and be low enough and shameful enough to just wash a common man's feet? He's not a savior. That's not how a savior acts. He's just a slave. And if that's all he is, that's what I'll sell him for. Then maybe, see, the God of your creation will never meet your expectation. See, can I let you know, very rarely, Will God be what you want him to be? But he will forever be who you need him to be. He wasn't what Judas wanted him to be, so it made him miss the reality that he was exactly who he needed him to be. And the thing that should have brought encouragement only created more frustration. And there would come a moment though when he would see the result of his actions. Go to verse 27, Matthew 27, verse three. Matthew 27, verse three. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. That when he saw 
what his actions were leading to, he was seized with remorse. And he would actually go back and try to throw the silver back at the Pharisees and say, I don't want it, I don't want it. I, this, is not, this is not what I wanted to happen. And that guilt and that shame would overwhelm him so much that he would do the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being is to allow our shame to convince us it's over. So much to the point, we just take our own life. And that's exactly what Judas ended up doing. He never got to see what would happen next. He never got to see Jesus step out of the grave and step onto a beach and look at his friend, Peter, who had, a, had a, an offense not unlike his, when he would deny Jesus three times. But he would make it to the other side and get to see the face of Jesus and hear the words, Peter, you're forgiven. Because see, P Peter got to a place that Judas never got. Judas ended his life because he was riddled with remorse. He didn't understand that God wanted more than remorse, that he wanted repentance. Because if remorse doesn't lead to repentance, it will always end in death. But when remorse motivates repentance, it leads to grace and ends in life. That in repentance, see God doesn't want you just to feel guilty about what you've done. He wants to come inside of you and fix it and make you whole so that you can recover and move forward. And Judas would have had the same opportunity that Peter did, but he never got there because the enemy, I believe, leveraged that guilt and leveraged that shame and leveraged that remorse to paralyze him to the place where he didn't think he could ever recover. And he's trying to convince people of that same thing to this day. You know, at some point you've, you've been more like Judas than you want to admit, but you've exchanged Jesus for something temporary And you've recognized that mistake because it's left you empty. But instead of recovering, instead of letting remorse lead to repentance, the enemy's trying to keep you stuck in your guilt. And today, the God of the universe, through the power of Jesus Christ, is saying it's time to move beyond remorse, step into repentance, experience my grace, and move towards restoration. Because that's what he came to do. And so when Peter steps in on the day of Pentecost and he preaches the gospel, he reminds us of the beauty of what Jesus can do. Acts chapter three, verses 19 and 20. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you even Jesus. We've turned Judas into the villain of the story. But if we're honest, we're more like him than we realize. We all at some point in our lives have made a really bad trade. And maybe the reason why you did it is the same reason why Judas did it. You lost sight of who he was. So you couldn't understand what he's doing. And man, I don't know about you, but I live in a time right now where most days 
23 out of 24 hours a day. I don't understand what God's doing right now. But if you lose sight of who he is, the enemy will move into that space and cause you to make a bad trade. And if that has been you, remorse isn't enough. God's calling you to repentance so that he can give you grace and you can experience restoration. And it can happen right here, right now. So Father, I pray you would invade this room right now. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would move into this place, God. God, there are people that have yet to make that trade, but they're, they're living in that tension. They're losing sight of who you are because of what they see. And what you're doing doesn't make sense. And so they're living in this tension and confusion. And God, they feel that temptation brewing in them to move towards something less than. God, I also know there are people that are in this room or watching online that are just riddled with the guilt of the betrayal of their own. And the enemy's leveraging it just to keep them stuck. And God, you're calling us today to repentance, to change, to turn course to come to you, experience your grace, and live in a relationship with you. So God, I pray that you would work in the heart of every person engaged right now to bring about what you desire. Father, move and speak, change lives this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.